Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. I'm Joe McCall. Alex Youngblood is here. He's got his bathroom voice on. I, my bathroom voice again. Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Your mic's not working, but I'm glad you're here, Alex. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Joe. I'm glad to be here. How's business been going for you lately? Good, good. I'm looking forward to closing down. Uh, I got three new construction deals closing down this month, along with uh, one rehab and one two, three, four wholesale deals. Good for you. What market are these yeah. in? Are these in your Virginia markets? Yes, they're all in uh, Virginia. Good for you, man. Yeah. I just did uh, I just did a deal, made $3,400 on it. Yay. <laughs> yeah, man, I remember back, don't you remember those days when that was like a lot of money? I do. And I'm not complaining. You know, it's sad, right? Yeah. Because... The other day, I was up the uh, beach with my family um, up on the eastern shore where we like to go, the eastern shore of Virginia. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, what do you need to make to live comfortably, right? And not not like I'm going to go out and buy a Ferrari and a huge yacht and all this kind of stuff. But what do I need to make monthly to be comfortable? Because yeah. at the end of the day, it all comes back down to living Simply but nicely so you can enjoy life, but also not pen yourself into having to make a certain amount of money. And that's what I was trying to uh, find out. What was that amount of money that I absolutely had to make? And it it actually surprised me when I when I went back and I and I thought about it because I normally don't think about that kind of thing. I just make my money, do my thing and and, mm -hmm. and uh, carry on merry way. But when you think about it, it's like, oh, boy. Well, this is what I actually have to make in order to uh, to live comfortably. I'm I'm curious. Do you have that number? Or is that something you don't want to talk about? <laughs> well, I, I will say this: my goal right now, and this has nothing to do with our podcast topic today, but I think this is this is good because it'll lead into what we're talking about with Andrew. Sure, we'll, we'll introduce him in a minute. But like, you really don't need that much income to meet your needs and live comfortably. Right. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's not, it's what not is much. Is that not much income? Is 60000 year a year not much income? You know, I was, I was looking at the low income list, you know, to market to. And what's defined as low income? 30000 60000 50000 What's low income? You know? Well, the <laughs> average income in the United States, I think the average household income, I think is $55,000. That's the average. Right. So that's about so that's five low. That's about five grand a month, right? That's sixty yeah. sixty thousand, five right. grand a month. So that's like one or two deals a month. If we had to, and it all depends on if your house is paid off or not. My that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to pay off right. our house. So then, you know, it's like, man, I could do that in my sleep. You just you don't need that much. And then when you start looking at buying assets that can produce cash flow. A lot of people think, you know, traditional financial education, 
listening to financial planners who talk about the stock market, that you have to have millions and millions of dollars in the bank invested in the stock market, diversified and all that stuff to retire and live comfortably. But if you can invest your money instead into real estate, into rentals, into properties that produce cash flow and give you tax benefits, you right. don't need that many. You don't need that much money. You might be able to retire on maybe $750,000 instead of two or $3 million. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good thing to think about. It's a really good thing to think about. And I want to encourage everybody listening to this too. There's a book that talks about that called Life and Air. Uh, instead life of millionaire, it's called yes. life and air. And they talk about that. And it's about designing a vision for your life first and figuring out really what do you need to live on? And uh, then how do you design a business around that? So, but hey, we've got a good guest on the show today. His name is Andrew Propst. Andrew from Boise, Idaho. Uh, Andrew, I think you're the first guy from Boise we've ever had on the show. Hey. I think so. Oh, yeah. You're the second. I'm excited for you. Andrew, you're the second. Never mind. I'm not, I'm not as excited. <laughs> we had Russell Brunson on the show. I don't know if you know Russell Brunson. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, big, big marketing guy, local. Yeah, he's, he's famous there in, in Boise. Yeah, very famous, of course. He was actually saying, I heard him talk about it on, once on a podcast, how it's now getting to the point where it's uncomfortable for him to go to the local grocery stores with his family because people start recognizing him and coming up to him and, and talking to him. Just because he's been really getting bigger and bigger on social media and stuff. But yeah. But Andrew. So I'll, I'll shoot him a text after this and say, uh, you took my thunder for being the first guy on the, on the call. <laughs> Russell, <laughs> Russell's a good friend. He's a good guy. I love ClickFunnels. A big, I was one of the first guys to buy it. Still use it every day. But um, Andrew, I want to talk about rental properties. We want to talk about uh, property management, rental properties with you. We met for the first time at a Big Mastermind a month ago about. And right. uh, I, I've really appreciated your enthusiasm, your smile, your excitement. You're, you're just a, an energetic guy that's kind of fun to hang out with. Do you get that a lot? Do people tell you that a lot? Well, I feel like if I said that, yes, that that would be uh, not a nice thing to say. But I, I mean... I get people telling me I have a lot of energy all the time, and I, I think they sometimes they think that's good, and sometimes they think that's bad. My 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 grade school teacher didn't like it, uh, but my my employees and my friends seem to like it all right. Nice. So the mastermind I was talking about, in case people want to know, is, is Collective Genius. And uh, awesome. how long have you been in CG, Andrew? I've been in CG. That was my that was my second meeting, Joe. I started out at San Diego conference, and I got together with you in Tampa. So. It was a great meeting and uh, great, great energy, great folks, as you know. So uh, honored to be on the show. Nice. Now, what, I, I'm excited about this topic because we don't talk about it a lot. Alex and I talk a lot about wholesaling, maybe a little bit about rehabbing, some of the quick turn, the quick cash strategies. Sure. But you, you're, you and your company, you're all about building long-term wealth. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk about that. Can you tell us Tell us what you do in Boise, Andrew, and, and tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, so I obviously live in Boise, Idaho. I co-founded a national property management company called Home River Group. Uh, we're in 11 states, 16 markets. It's very exciting. We're in some really good investor markets. And basically what we're doing is we, we found a, an amazing private equity capital partner, and uh, they, were, they were 
a key in the Realogy roll-up. So, you know, first, uh, not first, uh, 21st century real estate, Caldwell Banker, Sotheby's, et cetera. These same guys rolled all those companies up under one roof and made Realogy, which is the largest franchisor of real estate companies. And now they're doing it with property management. And um, they've allowed me to be a big part of that, which is exciting. So we're going around the country. We're partnering with property management companies, acquiring them, getting them under our roof. And we're trying to offer world-class property management all across the United States. So if you think about, you know, McDonald's, right? Remax, you know, Jiffy Lube, you can go, you can get the same service, the same burger, the same agent all across the country. But in property management, you can't get the same service from market to market. So that's what we're trying to do, which is exciting. It's opened up all sorts of doors. And we've only been doing it since March of 2016. So we've grown from 6,000 doors to just over 15,000 doors in a year. Wow. And we, we hope to be up to 50,000 in another two or three years. So it's it's going crazy. So are you headquartered in Boise? Is that what it is? Uh, no, our headquarters is in New York City. New York City. Okay. That's right. You know, while you were talking, I thought of this company, Renters Warehouse. Have you heard of them? Oh, of course. Yeah. Renters Warehouse. They're a franchisor. So they sold their franchises to franchisees to do property management. So a very, very different model than what we are, but okay. definitely. Heard them. Alex, I don't know. Do you listen to the radio at all? Do you hear these guys on the radio all the time? In, in your oh, I guess, you know, I haven't been driving around a lot lately in my car. So no, I've not been on the radio very much. What, what were you going to say, Andrew? Have you heard them? Yeah, no, I, I mean, they're not, I haven't heard them in Boise, but I've heard other people in other markets and I've been, I've been in Miami. I was in a car, I was in a cab in Miami and I heard a commercial uh, a couple months back. So yeah, I, I know they, they hit the airways pretty hard. They are all over the radio. I'm even hearing some of the big national syndicated radio personalities talk about them and you know, that it's a paid sponsored. Sure. But uh, that's, I thought that was interesting that, a property management company would do that kind of aggressive marketing. There's a lot of money to be made in property management once you get to scale. Isn't that right? I think so. I, I mean, you know, if you have if you have a good operator, gets the systems and the right people in place, uh, it can it can be a very profitable bi- business. It's not a get rich quick business by any mm-hmm. means, but it's very consistent and it's counter cyclical. So, property management is typically a better business to be in when the market's down versus when it's exploding like now. Interesting. Well, that's why I was interested about this, because even though the market is coming back so strong, these guys went to renter's warehouse, seem to be growing and doing a lot of aggressive marketing. But it's it's interesting. So I, I wanted to talk with you, Andrew, more about the state of the rental market right now. What do you see? You're you're in 11 different states. I think you said 15,000 doors. What are you seeing right now? And I know it's it's dependent on the market location and all that, but like in general, what are you seeing across the U.S. for the rental markets? Yeah, so I mean, we're seeing. I mean, I can I can confidently say nationwide, there's there's, there's a lot of demand for rentals, especially single family rentals, which I know a lot of your wholesale folks do the the single family. There's been a, a bit of a phenomenon. So when the market came back, you had a bunch of reluctant landlords that owned a bunch of you know single family homes that they couldn't sell back in 2007, eight, nine, 10. They put renters in them, right? The renters have lived in there for the last five, six years. And now the market has come back and the appreciation of the home is back where they can get out from under that that property. Mm-hmm. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of renters that are renting single family homes being displaced and there's no place for them to go. 
right? So right now, working with the Green Street Advisors National Rental Housing Council, we've estimated a home single-family home deficit currently in the United States. And now, between now and um, you know, 2020, there needs to be an additional 1.5 million on top of that to kind of meet the demand. Demand meaning a normal 7% vacancy rate. So a, a huge opportunity. It's all about making the numbers work to make it happen. Andrew, you broke up a little bit there. Were you saying that the there's a huge demand for rental properties by tenants? Renters, yeah. By renters. Yes, correct. Yes, tenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm sorry if I broke up there. There's about 1.5 million homes deficit. So okay. a lot of these houses that, these, like I was saying, the people that used to live in, they couldn't sell them, they put renters in them. Now they're being displaced because the, rental, the, the sales market's back, right? And there's no place for these renters to go. So they're going to have to rent a storage unit, downsize, move into multifamily because there's no single family homes on the market for rent. Do you see the pool of renters growing or staying the same? Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, rent the, the renter pool is flipped, right? So you, you know, pre, pre-recession, 2007, 2008, you'd had 65% of the new people coming onto the market were buying homes versus renting. That is not happening anymore. Now it is the exact opposite. In the next four years, there's going to be 2.7 million new homeowners. There's going to be 3.9 million new renters. New, so now it, new renters. New renters. So now instead of being at 60-40, it's 40-60. So we're seeing a lot of people come on the market. The millennials have, for whatever reason, they have a number of reasons we can talk about that, why they're not deciding to buy. But then you also have the baby boomers that are downsizing, that it's creating a, a, a major demand for single family and multifamily rentals. So that's why we see so many investors uh, nationally that are, are so hot on multifamily because you know, these other asset classes, so, uh, you know, office, right, retail, they're pretty, they're pretty bearish on, but multifamily and single family, that's why you see all these massive institutions coming in, buying up properties in bulk, because they see a very long runway in the rental market. Yeah, that's fascinating. What are some of the major reasons why you think the rental pool is growing right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, first thing I mentioned was the baby boomers downsizing. So you've got these two big clumps of, of, of people, right? The millennials, and I don't want to, I, I hate talking about millennials and baby boomers, but we'll do it real quick. Yeah, so I get millennials, it. Millennials, you've got baby boomers, and they're the two biggest, you know, groups of, 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 of demographic that's come, you know, in the last 100 years, right? And so both of those, both of those groups want rental property. So you have the you, you have you have uh, the millennials that are delaying marriage, right? They're delaying get, having kids. They saw their parents lose their homes in foreclosure. They are flexible. So the new American dream, you quote me on this, is flexibility over stability. So Joe, our dad, and Alex, our mom and dad, they bought a house. They stayed in that house. They stayed in that job for 20 years. Now, the person that graduated from high school today has 11 jobs between the time they graduate from high school and the time they retire on average. You know, 60 years ago, it was two. So you have to have flexibility and buying a home sometimes is not considered so know, it's, flexible. So they, if you can rent, you know, you give a 30 day notice, you're out of there. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the those, more the emphasis is more on fluidity rather than solidarity. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I, I'd say I'd say so. Yeah. It's, uh, wow. like I said, it's flexibility over stability. 
it's not it's not something where you want to commit and establish deep roots. You want to be able to rip out and go at any time. Mm-hmm. And that and, and that and that's pushing up the demand. And there's a million other drivers too, honestly. But those are some of the big things that we see and hear in any market really that's causing people to choose renting over buying. You know, these these millennials, they love their weekends. They don't like mowing the lawns and pruning the garden. They want their time to do whatever. They don't want to deal with that stuff, right? Yeah, and they and, want a they want a landlord that they can call to fix the toilet. Exactly. Exactly. Huh. There's a like I said, there's a there's a bunch of drivers. I see this too, where you know, you talked about the jobs. Um, a lot of people, and I don't think it's just millennials. I think it's a lot of people now can do their jobs from anywhere. They just need a computer and an internet connection, right? And so they're looking yeah. at this thinking, why would I want to live in Chicago where it's cold in the winter, you know? And uh, when I could live in San Diego and do the same job, get the, have the same productivity, uh, or, or live in an Airbnb traveling around Europe. Right. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, we see... We're seeing more and more of these short-term rentals, vacation rentals, pad sharing, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, we, there's like, like I said, you have these, these two massive groups of people all trying to get back into the rental market or start to get in the rental market. And that's causing huge demand. And uh, a lot of markets just can't keep up with the demand. So are the rents still increasing as rapidly as they were? I mean, talk about that. How are the rents increasing now compared to what they've been doing the last 10 years? Well, you know, the rent index historically is, you know, since they started tracking it back in 1980, has gone up about two and a half percent. So it's been very, very steady. And then in the last four or five years, we've seen, you know, three to six, even some markets, 10 percent rent growth just because of the demand drivers I was just talking about. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing in some markets where there, there was a lot of new property, new multifamily built in some markets. And we see, we're seeing some slowing. But in most of the secondary tertiary markets in the United States, there's a huge demand for rentals. But one thing that was really interesting about the downturn, guys, is when when the rents in a lot of markets, when the prices dipped, the rents remained stable. I mean, very stable, yeah. if yeah. Not, not went up. So you didn't really care about if you were in a good cash flow position, you didn't really care about the value of your home or your, your assets that you eventually sell, you know, today in 2009, because you knew the cash flow was there. When the market comes back, then you then you sell it and make a nice make a nice appreciation on it. Sure. Talk about Andrew. Uh, what what makes a good rental property? If, if an investor listening to this show, if they're smart, they're they're wholesaling a few deals here and there, taking the profits and reinvesting them into cash flowing producing assets. So, what would be a good single family rental property? Yeah. So, I mean. Under, I think I think you've got to really understand the market, and if you don't understand the market, you've got to find a good you know property manager or a real estate agent who understands what the rental market is. But uh, are, did you get? Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, you sound okay. I, I, sorry, I thought I clicked out there. So you know, understanding what the rents are that's very important. Understanding what the expenses are, and then you can quickly calculate your net operating income. And depending on what market you're in, and there's a lot of resources, I like IRR or Integra Realty Resource. You can go onto that website, pull down cap rates for each market. And then you can, once you can calculate the, the amount of rent, right, the amount of expenses it's going to take to run that property, 
you can generate a cap rate and then you want to compare that cap rate to the market cap. If your cap rate's higher than the market cap, then you're doing better than the average investor in that market. Yeah. And that to me is a, a potentially good rental property. I don't look at rental properties as far as what color the paint is or what, what the carpet is, right? Blah, blah, blah. You can make all those adjustments in your performa, but it's pretty easy to understand if you can talk to the right property manager, understand what the rents are, estimate the expenses, and then come up with your NOI. And then you just do a quick division on that. You'll come up with a cap rate number and, you know, you want, and depending on the market, you know, if you're in the Midwest, you want a cap rate of around 8%. If you're in the smile states, you're going to be between, you want a cap rate between 6 and 7%. You know, if you're, if you're in California, well, if you can buy it a three cap, you're buying, you're buying a good deal. So those, you know, like California, a lot of the smile states, those are areas for people to potentially sell their rental property and move it to a different, higher yielding market. I, I take offense. I take offense to that, Andrew. I'm just okay. kidding. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. You, you, the smile states. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> so the smile states would be like from Washington. You just make. You just take a smile, right, and draw it on the United States. Ah. Okay. So. When you're coastal states, you know, you know, Washington to Texas, Texas to, uh, you know, Virginia. Well, yeah, those, yeah, yeah. But those, Alabama, those Mississippi, smiles. Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, that's like the missing tooth, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> now, I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, those, you know, <laughs> that Alabama, was a, That was a really offensive joke right there. Yeah. Well, and, I, and, and I'm and I'm speaking in Alabama. In that, yeah. Well, you can get away with that because you're in Alabama. But, um, <laughs> but you know, Alabama, for example, just to get you out of the hot water here, Joe, it's a great investment market. You know, there's a lot of good southern markets that make a lot of. Oh, sense. it is. I, I I love the market down there right now. You're you're getting maybe 10 percent cap rates in some areas of Mississippi and Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in those areas, you might have to deal with maybe more difficult tenants, you know, more evictions. Where in you know other states that are you know, quote unquote smile states, you'll have less delinquency, less evictions, maybe less trashed out properties. But you you get into the Midwest and the South, and maybe you see a little bit more of that. But you'll also see a higher return on your investment. So I think it's really important. I look at, I look at really five indicators on any investment property. I always like to see cash on cash, right? The cash in compared to the cash I get out. What uh -huh. is that number? I want to get a ten percent cash on cash typically, and I'm I'm really picky. And then I obviously using the two and a half percent rent growth, I'd like to look at the appreciation, what, what that's going to be. So enhanced value, net present value is a calculation. It's a little bit complicated. I, I could talk about that another time. And then IRR, those are, those are kind of the four I look at along with the cap rate to kind of see long term what a property is going to do. And if you understand how to calculate those things and you put those all in your spreadsheet or in, you, can, you can also Google and do all this stuff. They have like calculators online. And if those if those numbers come back, it's probably you know a good thing to look at. I've always liked the cash on cash return calculation because yeah. it's the most realistic, I guess, practical term. If you look at in the first year, how much money did you put into the deal? Right. And over after all of your vacancies, management, expenses, repairs, insurance, taxes, how much did you actually net at the end of that year? And a good 10% cash on cash return is a really solid return. And that's, you're still going to do, be doing better than that when you factor in tax appreciation. appreciation yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that we do at, you know, Home River Group is we have people that will analyze these properties for you. So 
And and if you give them your your past two years of tax returns or just tell them which tax bracket you're in, we calculate even after tax rate returns, after tax cash flow. What we typically don't like to you know recommend doing any home price appreciation that's hurt investors in the past. You know, buy buy the property for what it is yeah. today, and if you get appreciation, awesome. But we're not we're not going to put ourselves in the situation that so many did back when the market crashed. Right. And you know, if you look at, if you can get 10% cash on cash return, the rest of the numbers are going to work out <laughs> kind of yes. like, right? The rest yes. of the formulas and the IRRs and the NPVs are going to be fine. If you can get a good 10% you know, you know, cash on cash. Go ahead. Yeah. And the only warning on that is just look at your capital expenditures. I mean, you, it might be a great cash on cash deal, right? So yeah. cash on cash comes back 10 or 12, but you've got, you know, a $30,000 roof that you have to replace in the next year or two. Yeah. You want to make sure you adjust for those calculations, you know, if you're really counting the dollars and cents. A $30,000 so, roof. Yeah. That's, that's a big, what, re- I wouldn't recommend buying a rental have. property that needs a $30,000 roof. It's a bit, yeah. Wow. You know, it's crazy. Some, some of these roofs you have to tear off, right? I mean, it, it can get, so, so just just be careful of the CapEx because that can hurt you if you're if, if you don't consider it. Yeah. What, what were you saying, Alex? I said, that's a big roof. I know. 30 grand. Maybe he's talking about a multifamily, like an apartment complex. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, first of all, I still feel bad about making fun of Alabama and Mississippi. <laughs> so, I apologize to everybody, all my friends, all my peeps, yo, that live down there. Because <laughs> it's a great area. I love Alabama, um, and I love Mississippi. And you can, uh, it's a great rental market. <laughs> but It uh, is. Andrew. It is a great, it's a great investment market, too. Talk about... What what kind of properties are good single family residences? I mean, do you stay away from the expensive areas, the really cheap areas? What what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a huge demand for you know the the classic three bed, two bath, four bed, two and a half bath. Those are your home run deals. If you can find those at a discount, make your numbers work you'll always have renters to go into those things because there's just, not, like I said, there's just not very many of them on the market for rent. Just here in Boise, we, we manage over 4,500 properties. We've got probably a one or 2% vacancy. And when we get a 30 day notice, right, right now we put a single family home on our website, you know, we're, we're tripping over applications or so many people. So, but occasionally if you get into those bigger homes, obviously your market shrinks, right? So you're not going to have as many people wanting those properties, but yeah. a good, a good three bed, a good two bed with a garage, you know, a four bed, you know, you're getting You're getting into a smaller market with the four bedroom, but those are great long-term hold investments. They're great short-term investments because they're so easy to sell. It's a great asset class to invest in. And you know what? The smart folks in wall street, realize that. And so they're putting billions of dollars. It's the largest single family rentals is the largest unconsolidated asset class in our country. Right. So we're talking, I think there's 15 million single family rentals. That's a big chunk of money. And, you know, the smart folks are putting their money on it. So that tells me that it's a good, it's a good investment for uh, mom and pop too, which has typically been the only people that used to invest in those. What, what's your crystal ball say about the institutional investors? Like, are they going to be continuing to invest heavily in the single family market? Or have they started cooling that down a little bit? Do you see a change going on? You know what? I, I do see a little bit. They, you know, after the first initial boom, they slowed down a little bit. 
But now they're ramping back up. I think there's a lot of people that are nervous about the market and they're getting their money out of the market and putting it into REITs, single family REITs. They're syndicating into single family or, you know, they're investing in these large, you know, American home for rent funds because, you know, they want their investments in something tangible because they're just, they're, they, they, everybody feels like the market's going to pop at some point. And to be able to have their money in real assets is enticing to them. And, and so that has caused the institutions to, you know, dial down their requirements on what they were buying. So they were pretty picky right out bat. And over time, they become less and less picky. So they're, they're coming back and they're buying. They have, I mean, we're, there's, there's billions and billions of dollars that are getting invested into the single family market and multifamily right now, just because, again, it's the, uh, the, the sexiest asset out there. It's got, like I said, a long run road, uh, a runway ahead. What do you think will have to happen for that to slow down? Well, I think I think vacancy vacancy pressure is going to be a big uh, factor, but you know I don't know when that's going to happen. I think in some markets it's starting to happen, but you know if you have a bunch of assets that aren't doing anything, that's going to cause problems and that's going to get people to pull back. But right now there's so little vacancy that you know if you can if you can make the number work, uh, the numbers work and get people in there and cash flow these properties, why wouldn't it just keep going? Some of these bigger cities like San Francisco, a lot of people are complaining right now about these investors that are coming in there and, quote unquote, stealing all the properties away from homeowners and driving the locals out, right? Or making the cost of home ownership unaffordable or inaccessible to people, which is common. Right. You know, they, the. What do you mean? Like coming in and building new construction? No, the. You know, it's a typical, I don't want to get into politics here, but typically the left-leaning press will blame investors for a lot of things. They blame capitalism and entrepreneurship for a lot of things. And so they're blaming these investors for coming in and driving up prices and driving out the people who can't afford housing. You know what I mean? And they yeah. say that we need to come in and, 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 and enact more strict controls and stuff like that. What do you see and what do you think about that? Well, I, I definitely I definitely see it, and especially in some markets in California, some of the other large coastal markets. And you're seeing a lot of those, a lot of that demand coming from overseas. You're seeing a lot of overseas money coming to the United States where, you know, the dollar's good, you know, the, the assets are good, there's no uh, instability going on. And so that that's the main driver in this situation that's ticking off so many people in these large coastal cities. And I don't know if there's much they can do about it. And, and they keep raising the rents. I think last quarter was the first time in San Francisco where the rents stabilized. And I think since 2010, wow. it's just what, been on what they're, ship, what so. they're wanting to do is they're wanting to put restrictions on how many properties a landlord can own they're, They want to put right. restrictions on how many deals an investor can do in a city. That's yeah. And that I, I, I don't, I don't see how that's, I don't see how they can do that. Well, they want to. And that that scares me a little bit. You know, anytime yeah, you get should, the government. It should, I mean, yeah, it should it, be scary. Well, it's, um, you know, they want to level the playing field. Anyway, I don't want to go into the politics. I apologize. Let, let's talk about Andrew, if it's all right. And, and Alex, please feel free to interrupt. I feel like I'm hogging the, the, the questions and conversation here. No, I'm listening and learning. Okay. Talk about property management companies, Andrew. What... How do you identify a good property management company? What do you look for? 
Well, guys, I mean, I've been in property management since 1999, and uh, everybody seems to think property management's a pretty complicated thing. And to me, I've over the years, I've I've had that same thought. But you know, it really comes down to two things. If you're looking for a property management company, they've got to do two things really well, and that is communication and accounting. And if you don't have those two things, if if you're talking to them, you know, you get a vibe that they're they're not they're weak on accounting or they're not going to be great communicators with you or your tenants, you know, it might be it might not be a bad idea to talk to somebody else because those are the two most important, if not the only things that matter in property management. And so what we what we try to do is obviously focus on those two things and build great systems around accounting, you know, doing the best accounting and doing the best communicating we can. Because if those things aren't right, then nothing else matters. I mean, that you can you can you can trace every problem. And if you don't think property management's important, anybody that's on this podcast that have ever hired a bad property manager, you know how important it is. I mean, property management can change the value of your property anywhere from seventy-five to eighty percent of the value, either up or down. I mean, some of the best some of the best buys in this country right now are are, are mismanaged properties. And, um, you know, those are some of the best deals I've ever done where I've bought a property that's been mismanaged because of bad, bad communication and bad accounting. So those are, those are kind of the two things that, um, I look for. I mean, obviously there's a lot of great technology out there, but if, if you can't get the accounting right, you can't get the communication right, then nothing else really matters. So communication is real important. Very important. Is, is now you're, you're doing, you're buying these large companies, other property management companies, as an investor who wants to buy rental properties maybe in another market, can a out-of-state property management company do just as good of a job as a local property management company? Um, yes, I, I think so, just because, just because we're buying local companies there that have expertise in those markets. And, and you know, we're buying companies that we think are the best operators in that in that specific market and then giving them more resources and training to be better communicators and account and, and accountants. So that's, that's kind of our philosophy, but you know, there's a lot of things that keep, you know, property managers. I, I you know, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that wholesale or turnkey and they try to, they try to manage that stuff themselves. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to do, everything, uh, you know, great, right? It's either a great wholesaler and uh, average property manager or an average prop or great property manager or average wholesaler, great turnkey guy or whatever. But, you know, when we've been able to come in and help people that do a lot of wholesaling, a lot of turnkey, take over a lot of their assets, then they can do more deals because they're not worried about this property management thing. They allow the property management to distract them to get more deals done because sometimes it's easier just to deal with the barking dog than, you know, the quadrant two activity of picking up the phone and making the deal happen. So those are a lot of, a lot of things that we're doing right now is, is working with those people to kind of free them up of the property management, because there's, as you guys know, there's a ton of deals out there to get. Yeah. Okay. What's a good management fee that people should expect or budget for, uh, for a good property management company? Yeah, I, I, that, that, that's a great question. And a lot of it depends on their market. You know, if you if you have one property, I would assume you would be paying anywhere from seven to ten percent. If you had multiple properties, uh, that number goes down. But you know, my dad always said, always negotiate product, never negotiate service, because when you negotiate service, you get what you pay for, right? 
So you just you just want to be careful. You can you can find the low the low price leader in any given market, but you know again if they don't do if they don't go, do a good job, your job becomes a lot. Your life becomes very difficult, and then the value of your property goes down, or you know they nickel and dime you or whatever. You know it's it, there's a there's a great balance to it. Find somebody. I think it's really important to have a property management company that's NARP that's a NARPA member. NARPA is the National Association of Residential Property Managers. So there's something to fall back on there if things go wrong. So I would I would look for the NARPA logo on any website that you're or any property manager website you land on. NARPA. And what does that stand for again? NARPA. Yeah, it's the National Association of Residential Property Managers. Okay. Good. And what does it take to get in that organization? Um, you know, you you have to uh you obviously you fill out the application. There's there's a number of things you have to do to become a pro member. Some classes you have to take. You have to take the ethics course, and then once you once you do that, you become a pro member of the organization. And then property managers can earn designations through NARPM. There's also other great uh, property management specific, you know, for multifamily, which is like IRM or CCIM. But if you're doing single family or small multifamily property management, NARPM is the, the you know the association leader. And again, if if you're hiring somebody. If, if they're a NARPA member and something goes wrong and you disagree with them, you can always go to NARPM and say, hey, this person, one of your members is doing me wrong and NARPM will get involved to try to make it right. So it's just a nice thing to look for when you're looking to hire a property manager. Okay, good, good. Let's talk about somebody who's not ready yet maybe to hire a property management company. What is What are some good property management software that people could look at? Man, I, if you have, if you're, I'd say if you're under, if you have a bunch of properties, you're managing properties for friends, I would beg and plead to get out of QuickBooks and get it into a real property management software or get it out of a spreadsheet. That's where a lot of disaster happens. I'd say if you're under a hundred properties, there is a very inexpensive, great, easy to use software called Appfolio. I don't use Appfolio because again, it's more for the mom and pop manager, the do-it-yourselfer. But it's really easy to learn, and it you know it's easy to track what's going on. Appfolio, A P P F O L I O, app A P P F O L I O dot com, right? Yep, Appfolio. The other couple of good ones that I like, uh, you know, let's see, uh, Rent Manager is what we use. We love Rent Manager. Um, that's a that's a that's you know if you have a bigger operation, you can build operations around Rent Manager. Propertyware is another really good system. Uh, they have a lot of online resources and tools. You know, those are those are the three that I like. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to do it yourself or you wanted to start a management company, I would start there. All right. So the other one you called was um, you talked about was rentmanager.com. Rentmanager.com and propertyware.com. Propertyware, P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y, propertyware, W-A-R-E cool. com. And appfolio. Yep. And Apple. whatever you do, stay away from Quicken. <laughs> yeah, Quicken, QuickBooks, spreadsheets, spend, you know, 20, 30 bucks a month and get get your get your some professional software. Can this software cuz I you know, it's been years since I looked at a property management software. They it's come a long ways. I'm sure so, it has, but do they have things now that have very user-friendly tenant interface, you know, so where a tenant can log into a website and pay their rent or submit a maintenance request things like that? Yes. Yeah. So every tenant and owner on our system has a portal, right? So they log in just like their bank account. They can see their transactions, what they paid, 
when the rent's due, you know, they can they can access their lease, they can see past tickets, right? Owner can get on and see all their statements, they can see their balances, they can get their tax forms. So all that stuff's at their fingertips. They can submit uh, maintenance request forms like you mentioned. Uh, they can fill out notices to vacate, they can upload inspections. So all this stuff is literally at their fingertips through any of those softwares that I mentioned. It, uh, it's, it's pretty powerful. And there's, there's some great apps that integrate with those softwares or other apps on, on, on the iOS or, or Google Play where you can download and uh, you know kind of empower the tenant to do a lot of the stuff that, quite frankly, they don't want to pick up the phone and call anybody. So they can just do it right on their app, on their, on their smartphone. Mm-hmm. We even have, we have an, even have a company, it's called Paylease. It's a, uh, it's a company that basically allows a tenant, if they don't have a checkbook, you know, they have a checking account, they can go to a, a Walmart or 7-Eleven and pay their rent right there with cash and it automatically shows up on the ledger. So technology's come a long ways. So you said pay lease, right? Pay lease. Yep. Is this one of your software? No, no. It's okay. just an integration into our property management software. And so this allows tenants to pay their rent at Walmart. Is that what you said? You That's right. They go in there, they, they give them their, they give them their number, their, their pay number or go into a money tree or something like that give them their pay number, they pay in cash, they get a receipt, and one second later, it's on their ledger as rent paid. And you, I remember you talked about this, I think, at the Mastermind. Isn't there a way you can, as a landlord, pay the utilities or yourself, but then use something like Paylease to have the tenants pay them? Does that make That's sense? That's right. How does that work? Yeah, we call it, uh, it's called RUBS, Ratio Utility Billing Service. So basically what we'll do is, uh, instead of having the tenants have all their utilities go over to their name. We set it up in our name, and then we, we, we get all their utilities, put them on their ledger, instead of them sending out four or five checks to get their utilities going, right? Their trash, their water, their sewer, their gas. We put it all in one place. They log in at the beginning of the month. They pay all their bills, click submit, including their rent, and it's all done just like that. And so pay, um, pay so lease handles that. Pay lease handles that. Any open, any open transaction, pay lease will handle that. You know, it's, it doesn't look like Paylease on our system. It's a rent manager, right? But Paylease is the, the payment processor that does that Nice. in the background. Pretty slick. When I had a bunch of rental properties, I had 15 of them or something. I had a special account with a local bank to do ACH withdrawals. And I could set it up where if they got paid every week or every second week or on the 1st or the 15th, I could automatically withdraw half of their rent or whatever on that specific day directly from their checking account. So when they got a direct deposit, I was immediately going in there and withdrawing my rent, right? Right, right. Which I found solved almost all of my problems with late rent. The tenants actually loved it because they could budget for it. They didn't have to save the money and then on the first scramble to get 800 bucks to pay the rent, I could withdraw $200 every week directly from their account, their checking account when they got paid. Kind of like the IRS so graciously does when they pay, when they uh, collect our taxes, they just take it right out of the paycheck, right? So exactly. are, is it easier to do that now these days with these kinds of tech, with this technology? Absolutely. Tenant can log in and they'd say they, you know, the, the rent's due on the first, they have a five day leeway. So they log in, initially set up the direct, the direct debit, we call it direct debit. So they just say, Hey, any open items on the fifth is just like a mortgage. Just click a button and automatically comes out. So they're never late. They always they always pay on time. Our owners are happy because they get their money quicker 
you know, and the other thing is, you know, with Paylease too, they allow, they allow tenants to pay with credit card. I mean, you can pay your credit card. So well, what, we have, yeah. what I'm, for example, we have a tenant that's late, right? They, yeah. I don't have any money. I'm like, well, what's your mom's number? We'll call her. We'll get a 16 digit account number and we'll get your rent paid. And trust me, we do that on a, on a, on a monthly basis with a lot of our tenants. Will these services let you withdraw the rent every one to two weeks? Yeah, you bet. You can honestly, you can set them up any way you want. We typically don't do that just because if you have multiple pay dates, it makes it harder for people to evict. So if you have, if you if you split up, right? And depending on the state, if you have half the rent due on the first, half the rent due on the fifteenth, if they pay their rent on the first, but don't pay their rent on the fifteenth, in a lot of states you can't evict, you can't start a eviction because you've taken partial payment um, in that month. Interesting. So. We try not to take partial payments just because if they decide not to pay, then it makes it harder for us to get them out. Interesting. So this website, paylease.com, I think a lot of people would be yeah. interested in this. It's a great it's a great way to take online payments, integrate it with your property management software. And some softwares don't have payment processors. They do it, they do it in-house. So you you know, if you're if you're using Appfolio, for example, you can't take credit cards on Appfolio, but you can take checks. Uh oh release like a cash card you we lost you just for a second there you said they can take checks and then we lost you what'd you say after that yeah sorry i'm sorry the app folio doesn't I, I don't believe they have a credit card interface but um they do have a cash pay interface okay very cool very cool so a lot of great resources you know there's some great property management resources out there on the technology side for do-it-yourselfers or people or property managers looking to you know grow their business or make their lives easier Okay. Well, I want to ask you just a final question here uh, about the risks of trying to manage a property on your own. And what are the risks of hiring a property manager? Let's talk first Good about. Questions. Yeah. Let's talk first about what are the risks of managing your own property? Well, I mean, when we, when we take over properties that are self-managed, typically, Joe, uh, we'll see people that are multiple, you know, months behind on rent because they've been pulling on the landlord's heartstrings, right? The landlord's not familiar with the local laws, how to deal with late paying tenants or tenants that are, are acting up. And so we'll kind of, you know, we manage, like I said, here in Boise, we manage uh, 4,500 homes and we don't have a single tenant that's a month behind. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk to an owner that has three houses and they're all behind. It just blows our mind because, you know, they've developed a relationship with the tenant so that's where we see a lot of owners get hurt is that they, you know, they don't run their properties as a business. They get lubby-dubby with their name. I, I don't know what they do exactly, but it's, I, for example, I'm a property manager, been a property manager all my life. I have my own properties. I don't manage my own properties because I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Mm. I don't want to know who my tenants are. You know, I don't want to hear their sob story. I just want my property manager to take care of it, right? So yeah, that's, that's, a lot of- that's such an important point, Andrew. And I think Alex... You're like me, because we've had similar stories of horror. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's easy to become a sucker, isn't it? Yeah. Alex? And the thing is, people cringe. They don't want to pay the property management fees. But I would argue that you're going to pay them one way or the other. You're going right. to either pay them by being the, 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 the landlord sucker, <laughs> or you're going to be paying the property manager. And so if you're working with a good property management company that starts the eviction process the day the rent is late and doesn't have a soft heart like you do, 
you're going to actually probably save yourself some money and at least save yourself a lot of headache. That's the way that works, right? I mean, you're, you almost act like a mortgage company. It doesn't matter what they say to you. You just go and do what you have to do. And it just is what it is at that point, right? Yeah. The other thing, guys, too, I've, I've never taken over a self-managed property that was at market rent. I, I can honestly say that. Wow. Every property I've ever taken over is under-rented by a self-managing property. So it, it, it pays so for itself. Sucks. Yeah, I think so. I think if you have a property manager that's very dialed into the market, which most property managers are, they're they're raising the rent at at market on a regular basis because a lot of a lot of self managers don't want to raise the rent. They're afraid their tenants are going to move out. And they don't want to deal with it. They don't have time to deal with the, te- the tenant moving out, or they don't want the tenant to skip skip the rent or whatever, so they don't do it. And I think I think a lot of people actually actually find rent owner managers. They they seek them out because they can they know they can get away with yep. stuff they, when they rent with them. And they don't they don't find us because they know we have we have HUD that regulates us. So we can't tell one tenant, hey, you don't have to pay rent this month, and then tell another tenant that you have to pay rent because then we'd be discriminating. So we have you know a law that we can lean up against. It says, "Hey, we got to treat everybody the same." I'm, I'm sorry, you're having a bad month, but you, your rent's still due, man. You know, and the, that's that's the final risk I'd like to point out, Joe, is HUD violations. So, depending on what state you live in, if you own more than three or four rental properties, you're on the hook for any type of violation that you make to the, you know, to the Fair Housing Act. Mm-hmm. And typically, those are settled in court for six figures. So, you, you a property manager gets that kind of a, t- a training and attention will keep you out of trouble with the housing, you know, the HUD folks, uh, the, the fair housing folks. Yeah. Alex, were you, you were going to say something or we interrupted you? No, no, no. I was saying, um, I mean, as far as the eviction process works and all that kind of stuff, um, when you're effectively managing a property and somebody says, oh, I'll get you that rent. Um, I got a paycheck coming in and uh, it'll be there uh, tomorrow so I can pay you on Monday. I know I'm five days late. And do you say, oh, well, We'll hold off on the eviction process because I know it's going to cost money to do the eviction process and hope that he's going to pay you kind of thing. That's that's what the self-managed person does, right? Oh, yeah. And you guys do what? You're just like, it doesn't matter what you say. This is the process. This is how it goes. That's right. And and like I said, we you know, we have to we have to treat every we have to treat every tenant the same. We don't care where they're from. What their background is, look, rent's due on the first. You have five-day grace period. That's when it's due. Here's the lease. And we also see owners get, you know, they'll go down to Staples and buy a sample lease, and there's so many holes in those things. If you're going to self-manage your property, I'd, I'd at least call a property manager and say, hey, could you send me a sample lease and then copy theirs? Don't take, don't get the one at Staples. Yeah, it, uh, I, I did I've that some, a lot, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some bad things happen there. So, um, but, you know. You're, to, to your other question, Joe, you said, you know, what are the what are the risks when they're hiring a property manager? Well, you can definitely hire the wrong one. The, you can hire a property manager that doesn't do a great job with accounting, and you'll never understand your statements. You can hire a property manager that doesn't do a great job with communicating, and so they're not talking to you. They're not re- they're not returning your calls. They're not calling the tenants. They're not collecting rents. You know, in some states, property management's not regulated, and there's been situations where property managers have walked away with security deposits and rents. Now, we don't see that happen very much anymore just because there's there's so much regulation. But that's why that's why it's very important to look for property managers that have certifications, designations that quite frankly have a lot to lose if they don't provide a great service. So those are some of the risks on the other end. But 
you know, obviously I feel like there's a great value. If you hire a good property manager, just like Alex said, it, it not only saves you money, but it pays you back. I mean, we see that all the time. Oh yeah. People forget that. You know, it, it does kind of, cause I, the, I, I was in this boat, you know, I didn't want to hire a property management company cause I looked at the fees. You have to pay one month's rent when the tenant is placed and you've got to pay eight to 10% of the rent every month. And the first property manager that I had even tacked on fees on top of the repairs. So when there was a repair, they tacked on some fees on top of that. And it was tough. It, and it, it was tough because I bought these properties wrong. You know, I didn't count on, I didn't cover or think of these expenses, right? I was counting on appreciation. I wasn't figuring in these expenses. Right. But when you do, and you're looking at, if you can still get a 10% cash on cash and you're paying these property management fees to manage this for you. It will pay for itself. It'll pay for itself in so many ways. Number one, collecting the rent on time. Number two, not messing around or dealing with tenants that are going to be problem. Because I, I see this over and over again once I figured this out. Once a tenant realizes that I'm serious or my property management company is serious and they don't uh, let tenants get away with late rent, they realize, oh, this is something that I have to take seriously. So I'm right. going to pay this rent the first bill every single month or else I'm going to be out. I'm going to be kicked out. So they, it'll pay for itself. And the, the other thing too that it pays for itself in is that the things that need attention, the things that need fixing are not going to be pushed back and get worse and worse. It's, this is stuff that's going to be taken care of immediately and get taken care of right, hopefully, so that's that's going to pay for itself in the long run as well. Yeah, and and it, it pays for itself by you know tenants staying longer. That's the second reason tenants move out is uh, repairs not being handled. But like for all, all those all those people are out there that are managing their property themselves and they're they they hate it. And there's some people that love it, and that's great. If you're doing if you love it and you're doing it, great, do it. But if you're at your, at your wits end, I I literally get online, do some searches, make sure you look at a property management company that has some credentials. And just simply ask them, and I, I could guarantee a 9 out of 10 will agree to do it. Hey, can we try this on a month-to-month basis? Can I hand this property over to you and have you just manage it for a few months? And then we'll see how it goes. And if you do a great job, maybe we can talk about a longer-term agreement. I bet you every property manager, 9 out of 10, will say, yeah, we'll show you our value. And if you can get great value out of a property manager, it's the best money you'll ever spend. If you are going to do it yourself, too, I would give you two pieces of advice. Number one... Go buy the best property management course you can buy. Maybe something from MrLandlord.com or something like that. And then number two, hire an assistant to take care of all of it for you. And then by the end of the day, you got to look at that. And it's probably going to be cheaper to hire a property manager. But you've got to remove yourself from that, right? Yep. All right. Uh, I, got, I had one question I was thinking of while we were talking about evictions. What is a good policy to have for late rent? And when does the eviction process start? Yeah, I mean, again, this is a state-specific question because some states require um, a longer uh, notice date. But based on your lease, typically you'll have rent due on the 1st. You have five days of grace period. And then on the 6th, you would post a 72-hour notice to pay or quit. And then after 72 hours, you would run down to the courthouse and then file for that eviction. And depending on how busy your court your court folks are, it could take, you could be in front of a judge in a couple of weeks, depending on where you're at. Or it can take months. If you're in California, evictions take up to six months. In Idaho, they take about 25 days. So it just really depends. But I think most importantly is that you, you define this in your lease, how this all works. 
and then stick to it. You know, just like parenting your children. If you tell them you're going to do something, do it. Because if you don't, then they'll get away with murder. And oh, that's yeah. exactly what happens with tenants. Do you have kids, Andrew? I do. I have two <laughs> wonderful kids. Okay, good. I was going to say one thing too that I did because I used to manage my own homes, but a good tip for people if they're going through an eviction or going to be soon, contact the largest property management company in your area and talk to somebody and ask them, who do you use for your evictions? Which attorney do you use for your evictions? <clears throat> and that was some of the best advice I ever got because I've been through maybe three or four evictions. I got the guy, his name is Buck. His nickname is Buck. He is so well known in the county courthouses that anytime he brings an eviction, the judge just like, okay, this guy's got it covered. There's probably, it's just rubber stamps. These, because yep. if this attorney brings him an eviction, because he's doing multiple ones a day, because he's such a, that's his specialty. That's what he's known for. It right. happens so incredibly fast. And yep. uh, this guy is amazing. And he also, this guy in particular, I don't know if he does it himself or he has somebody else that does it. But he has a collections arm of his business where uh, they are super aggressive in collecting and getting judgments and collecting rent and garnishing wages and stuff like that on lost rent plus attorney's fees and all of that. So it's not as scary as it as uh, you'd think it is if you are on top of it, that whole eviction. That's right. That's right. It's good advice. Well, Andrew um, – What's a good way to get a hold of you to see if, if somebody has some rental properties and they want to see if you have a management company in their market? Uh, how do they? How can they reach you guys? That's a great question. Simply go to homeriver.com and click on the map. If we're in your market, you know, give us a buzz. If if we're not in your market, give us a buzz anyway because we know property managers all over the country that would be more than happy to give you a, a quote on managing their property. Nice. Homeriver.com, right? Homeriver.com. Easy. Easy one, right? Yeah, I see you're in Missouri, but you're only in Kansas City. Yeah, we, we just opened a new market in Missouri, just south of Kansas City. We're getting ready to open up St. Louis. So, you nice. know, it's uh, it's exciting. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Nice, nice. And you are all over California, Idaho. What's that state down there next to them? <laughs> new Mexico. Oh, Utah. 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 I get New Mexico and Utah confused all the time. Nice. You're all over Florida? Yeah, great markets in Florida. Great investor market. Good, good Uh, for you. Mississippi, Mississippi, Tennessee. You know, we're up in uh, Indy, Chicago. You know, we've got a pretty good presence. We're We're getting bigger, too. Texas is next. Oh, yeah. North Carolina? Yeah. Good for you. And is that New York? New York. Why is New yeah, York in red? Oh, that's your home. That's your home. That's base. our yeah. That's our home base. Very good. Cool. Anything else? Any other parting advice, Andrew? You want to give to folks? Yeah, I mean, just you know, I think everybody on this podcast thinks real estate's a great a great opportunity uh, to invest money in. But you know, take the time to do a little research before you do it. I mean, it's uh, there's 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 a lot of money to be made, but there's also a lot of money to, to be lost, and uh, the difference is the education you get. So we're here to help any way we can. Nice. Cool. Alex, do you have anything else you want to add or ask? Nothing in particular. Good episode. I mean, I'm not very, I don't have, I guess I only have a couple rentals myself, but I've got a partner that uh, I'm working with on those. But um, something that's very helpful is something I need to be doing more of uh, getting that passive cash flow. Yeah, for sure. 
Hey, thank you for your time, Andrew. Cer- certainly appreciate it. Again, your website is homeriver.com, homeriver.com. There's a map of all of the states that you're in right now. And um, cool. And also, if there's anybody listening to this who has a property management company and you're looking at maybe partnering and, and growing with a, a, a bigger company that has a national presence, is that something that you are open to talking to people about as well, Andrew? Absolutely. You know, no matter how big or small, I mean, we, we should at least have the conversation. You know, we're, we're acquiring companies um, all over the country and we'd love to, we'd love to chat. Okay, good. And you can Thank get you. A, Thank you for that, Joe. Yeah, you can get a phone number there on their website. There's also the contact us. But I'll give you, let me just give you guys the phone number of Home River Group right now. Uh, it's 208-377-3227. 208-377-3227. And that gets you to uh, the main office for Home River Group as well. Sure. All right. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, thanks, Andrew. Alex. We'll see you guys later. Take care. Bye-bye. 